The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited. Why is the egg sector the latest to hit crisis point? It's been a bit of a struggle over the last few years with oversupply and rising production costs. But what's hitting us hardest is the food cost. There'll be a substantial change if financially people cannot survive with the current cost structures that they're facing without an increase in price. We'll hear from a local producer and an industry leader this morning. We'll also hear what the young farmers are up to and look at some exciting new tech. It doesn't weed by physically looking for the plant or even the seed. It weeds by where it knows the seed is. Plus, of course, agronomy advice, market reports and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Very good morning to you. The Lincolnshire Rural Charities Dinner was held a few days ago, attended by the great and the good, and me. And whilst everybody else was enjoying their pre-dinner glass of bubbly, I had a word with some of those behind the evening. Firstly, Laura Clark, Senior Associate Solicitor at Knights. Laura, what's the purpose of the evening? We're here tonight to raise money for three really important charities to Lincolnshire, LRSM, the Lincolnshire Chaplaincy and the Lincolnshire Agricultural Society, specifically their education charitable arm, because they do lots of good stuff for Lincolnshire. An MC for the evening, Ian Walter, consultant at Brown & Co. JRH Walter. What's tonight's theme? The theme of the evening is helping others. Uh, The three charities for which the dinner is raising money reach out to help people across the county of Lincolnshire, particularly in rural communities, uh, and we're here to raise money for their very fine work. And we have this uh, theme of thinking bigger together, following a poem by Walter Windle of Think Big. I think that when one works together, you can create size and... Uh, Not all farmers in Lincolnshire are big. There are are some very large farming organisations across the county, but working together and cooperating together can create that scale, which is important in this modern world. We all enjoyed a wonderful evening, not least the meal, behind which was well-known Lincolnshire chef and TV presenter Rachel Green. Rachel, you're known for being as local as possible. What was your inspiration for the menu? I think my inspiration comes from my family background, being farmers, and it's all sort of historic and it's sort of in my blood, really, and it's the way that I've been brought up. And I sort of manage my, my menus and my catering by seasons, really. And I find I get the best food possible by sort of following that rule as much as I possibly can. I mean, I'm very privileged to live in Lincolnshire and to be part of the food scene here. We have amazing fertile soil and we have different types of farming from one top of the top of the county to the bottom. And it's a chef's dream. So a lovely meal and thanks to a well-supported auction and some very generous sponsors, I'm delighted to say £44,000 was raised on the night to be split between the three charities. A real positive evening. Well done to everybody involved. Sadly, less positive is the situation in the egg sector, where we've reports of struggling producers, many of whom are seriously considering leaving the industry. Lincolnshire producer Tim Bradley from Bourne, what's gone wrong? It's been a bit of a struggle over the last few years with oversupply and rising production costs, but what's hitting us hardest is the food cost. Just to put it into some sort of perspective, my food costs about £100 a tonne more than it did. I feed about... 70 tonnes a week to my bird. So it doesn't take a genius to work out that that's a hell of a lot of money. And have and prices in supermarkets 
kept up with that, and more to the point, prices to you. No, this this is why we're trying to make a bit of noise now because the price that we get for our egg has gone up a little bit, but hardly much at all. It's a point now where we're not actually making anything. In fact, we're losing money. There's farms that are going out of business. You know, they're looking at restocking their sheds and thinking to themselves, well, it would be better just to leave that shed empty. Which is a, because it, it, it's a crazy situation to be in to say, well, I'll actually be better off having an empty shed than a shed full of hens. Yeah, I think the fundamental difference with a product like eggs, and I think the dairy industry had it a few years ago, we're trying to sell a perishable product, which doesn't leave us with any power. I mean, if we were manufacturing fuel, we just put our prices up. And if, if someone doesn't pay it, we'll just keep it in our stores. But we can't do that. We need to keep moving this perishable food out. OK, Tim, thank you. Uh, Robert Gooch, Chief Exec of the British Free Range Egg Producers Association, you conducted a member survey which indicated many thinking of leaving the sector. If things don't change, what do you think will happen and what are you looking for as a solution? There'll be a substantial change if financially people cannot survive with the current cost structures that they're facing without an increase in price. So we're, we've been asking for a 40 pence per dozen increase in the price of, of free-range eggs at retail and uh, 80 pence for organic producers. What's been the response to that? An acknowledgement that there's a problem and they're working on it. A mixture, but no real positive responses in terms of price movements. Apart from asking for a price increase, is there anything else that you can do? There's not much that we can do in terms of uh, price in that farmers and producers tend to be price takers rather than price makers. Do you think the egg buying public would object to a 40 pence increase? Well, it's a three pence per egg and given that there's a cost of living crisis which is hitting consumers hard you can understand that they don't want any more increases but the problem is is that if there isn't an increase when eggs get short at the end of the year when the current flocks of hens stop producing and no new flocks are put in production the cost of eggs will rise much further than the 40 pence per dozen that we're asking for now so it really is a common sense approach to have a small increase now threepence an egg that's the cheapest protein you can buy or animal protein you can get is a very good compromise between having no eggs and having a very cost-effective protein source for hard-hit families. All right, many thanks to Robert Gooch, Chief Exec of the British Free Range Egg Producers Association and Lincolnshire producer Tim Bradley. To the fields we go now with some timely agronomy advice from our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. A welcome bit of rain at last this week. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, a little drop of rain for most of us Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday evening. Yeah, I took 1.8 mil, so that makes my rainfall total at home to two millimetres so far this month. And that's only 10.6 mil, less than half an inch since the 15th of March. But a bit of a dry old do then but it did vary that rainfall as rainfall always does when you've got thunderstorms involved 20 millimeters just seven or eight miles away from me at bleasby moor 13 mil at legsby which is about five miles away four mil around lincoln auburn area so enough to settle the dust hopefully enough to move some of the applied nitrogen down to where it's needed and hopefully sufficient to get some of the seeds moving where they've been sat in the dry for long enough mind you 
On a positive note, even 1.8 millimetres of rain will have been enough to activate some of the residual herbicides in crops like sugar beet, peas, beans, spring cereals, etc. Probably or rather hopefully enough as well to soften the groth on some of these woodier plants like groundsel and the thicker cleavers to just to make sure the herbicides do a little bit more good but as I say every drop of rain is always welcome this time of year and we never take it for granted and it's not just farmers and growers that need that rain by the way spare a thought for the swallows the house martins even thrushes who build their nests if not completely from mud with mud linings and with muddy puddles few and far between until that rain on Wednesday afternoon it was a bit of a muddy puddle bonanza on Thursday morning with dozens and dozens of swallows and martins gathered around every puddle so not a bad idea just to keep the odd wet patch wet puddle in the yard so that these birds have got somewhere to go at so house building well underway in the bird world thanks to that drop of rain the other thing I'd missed and you don't realize you've missed some things so much until it comes back after a long absence and that was the petrichor and that's the smell that the earth emits after it rains for the first time in a long time a lovely lovely smell right agronomy then clearly this rain very variable though it was will have done a far more good than it will have done harm uh, we could have done with a bit more but we're never satisfied are we t1 fungicides then pretty much complete across all of my winter cereals wheat and barley alike indeed as i said last week the flag leaf is still poking out and is further out in the september drilling so t2 is now looming large too and remember particularly now things are warming up 21 degrees on thursday very sunny with it made a very pleasant change from the 12 degrees c at the early part of this week it's all about temperature, it's all about filicron now. One leaf takes around 70 growing day degrees to emerge, so if you take 10 degrees C off the maximum day temperature, with 20 degrees C days, it only takes seven, seven and a half days before another leaf will emerge very, very quickly this time of year as well in this sort of temperature. And the warmer it is, the quicker they emerge. So as I keep saying, just know your growth stage before you go plonking growth regulators and herbicides on things, particularly if you have those recommendations for a couple of weeks. Mildew starting to build in the base of these wheat crops as well. Septoria moving as well as yellow rust, even incidentally in varieties such as Xtase, which are among the cleaner septoria varieties genetically certainly from that septoria point of view but also from a rust point of view but as always it's worth asking the bods at NIAB or your local advisor just to monitor the untreated plots at their trial sites to see what those varieties are doing in the absence of fungicide that will give you some idea of the pressure plenty of yellow rust out here in Skyfall, Firefly, Kerrin particularly where T0 was missed or delayed and starting to show in untreated X-Taze too. So timings are absolutely crucial, as we know. Choices of the tools you're going to use are crucial too. But knowing what you're up against is probably the most important thing. Prothiaconazole has got reasonable activity on wheat mildew and barley mildew, by the way. Strobs and triazoles, pretty good on rust. SDHIs and triazoles for septoria. As I say, know your varieties, know your fields, and know your growth stages. Winter beans, full flower now, starting to set the first pods. And with 20 degrees C+, plus, Brookid beetle are about, but do for goodness sake consider all of the beneficials, the pollinators and the good little creatures in those canopies before you go out spraying any insecticide. And if there are flowers in there, you really need to question whether the good will be outweighed by the collateral damage and the bad you'll cause to those little creatures. Brookid insecticides don't seem to do enough good to me to warrant their use from what I can see. So unless you reduce brookid damage down to below a level where quality payments are going to kick in, 
you know, and let's face it, human consumption beans premiums rarely warrant it. Work from Link and, and Innovate type UK trials have shown that it's best to spray them when the temperature thresholds are reached. So if adults are present in the crop and 50% of the plants have formed those first pods on the lowest trusses, but only after day temperatures have hit 20 degrees C on at least two consecutive days, that would be the time to go. But best in the dark, so the goodies are not foraging in there. Bees, moths, butterflies, etc. tend to be far less prevalent in the, the darker conditions. And controlling the adult brookie beetle is the only way to do it. So do speak to your advisor and assess in depth before you go and spray. Spring beans and peas, just getting going. They'll be very grateful for that drink, no matter how small it was for them. Spring cereals, again, showing stress from the drought conditions. Many will have had less than eight millimetres of water since they were put in the ground. But the earlier stuff is now running away and T1 is being applied in my spring barleys. None of my spring wheats yet, then none of them are even close to the T1 timing. They really needed that drink too. Uh, sugar beet, stay alert for the one nymph per four plant threshold in non-neonicotinoid dressed sugar beet. Around Lincoln, I've yet to find a threshold level of nymphs, but I can quite easily now find the adult winged Mises persky. So frequent visits and hands and knees assessments are the only way to know for sure. Neonic dressed beet, by the way, will be good for about 10 weeks after you drilled it. So do watch that space, especially if it stays dry like this. And these plants are not at the 12 leaf stage by the time that 10 weeks has run out. May is going in and it's up on some of my farm. Soil temperatures there now in most cases happy enough for maize to go in. So the swallows, the martins, they're all looking for mud to build their nest. The thrushes are doing the same and the cuckoos I hear every day now will be looking for wood in all of the trees and woodlands they can find to go and build their clocks. So more of the warm stuff, more of the rain please. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever Sean. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. One machine to both sow the seed and then weed the crop. Sound good? The Farm Droid is now available in the UK from Opico and it's solar powered. Welcome MD James Woolway. James, first tell us how this machine came about. Where's it from? It's come from uh, Denmark. Two brothers developed the product. It was a sort of brainchild out of necessity in that uh, uh, Christian Warming was sent out by his father on their family farm to go and weed the organic sugar beet with a hoe. And having come back from uh, engineering college and st- studied uh, mechanical and electronic engineering, he uh, got half a day into it and decided that this can't be the future. And just, just tell us, what does it do? It Uh, seeds places the seeds in the field but it actually places them on a known grid so each seed is located by a combination of gps and rtk correctional signal which makes the gps location a lot more precise really within a 16 millimeter square a seed can be placed in the middle of a field and once that seed is placed the robot then goes back and weeds but of course it doesn't weed by physically looking for the plant or even the seed it weeds by where it knows the seed is. So it's finding the weeds not by cameras and identifying the fact that it's different from the crop that's meant to be there it just remembers where it planted the seed in the first place. Precisely, yes. That means that we don't have to have the plant growing above ground or even big enough to see by a camera and identify by a camera. We can start weeding much earlier, in fact, before the plant is even up. 
and that means you can uh, prevent any competition when the the weed that the actual crop is coming through the ground and then on onwards throughout its life until uh, it's able to outcompete any weeds that might try to establish themselves you touched on one point there about phone signals and gps and so on sure. we are notorious unfortunately in the countryside for not having particularly good connectivity and signals what well, if it can't it, connect it, to a phone actually, signal it actually uses a, a different uh, uh, setup in that it uses all phone networks and anything that's available. So um, unlike your mobile phone that's sort of logged into one particular phone network, it scans and picks up and uses whatever is available. So there is a chance in amongst hills, etc. But um, we haven't had a problem thus far, and it gives you a lot more options each time. And it's solar powered, yeah. That's correct, yep. We've got um, four solar panels on top of the machine. That gives it all the energy it needs to work. It can work anything from 10 to 12 hours if you're early March um, to uh, 17 plus hours in the middle of the uh, summer. And that's certainly going to help with these days the rising energy costs. It's very environmentally friendly, etc. Paint a picture of what this looks like and how big and how heavy. The machine is a ton. Um, it's a, a fully stainless steel chassis. It's about three and a half metres wide by one and a half metres long. Um, let's get to the nitty gritty. There will be a cost to this. What, what kind of money yes, are we talking about? Absolutely. Uh, depending on the specification, you're circa £65,000. It's pretty much one standard unit, but you can add rows and take rows off. And then there are different options to allow it to weed and sorry, seed and weed different crops. We're talking to people with high value vegetable crops, salad crops and so on that are are saying that they can easily justify that within uh, uh, the first season. Now, everyone's not going to be in that boat, but if you can do that with a product, then it's definitely got some future. Mm. And can it be used for any crops or is it really limited to the high value crops? It it can be used for any crops. It's it's just the sort of justification, as it were. The high value crops, especially when you've got manual weeding involved, are sort of low hanging fruit in terms of a a customer coming along to justify it. Now, you showed this at Lama the other day, but for those who weren't there, where can we find out more information, James? It's opico.co.uk, and on that you'll find a link through to farmdroid.co.uk. James Walway, thanks very much for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Good luck with the new product. Thank you very much. Like so many, it's been difficult for the young farmers to meet over the last couple of years. Teams and Zoom meetings are not quite the same, are they? Charlotte Garbutt, chairperson of Lincolnshire Young Farmers. Are things back to normal now? Yes, so we are meeting face-to-face both at club level and at county level. So we've had different competitions, different events on with really good attendance. So it's all back to normal. Jolly good. And what's coming up through the summer then? So we've got our rally on the 21st of May at TLB. That'll be the first rally since pre-COVID. So everyone's really excited about that. We've also got a few other different events on as well. And we'll also be at the Lincolnshire Show, a big event for us, particularly with our trailers. So uh, you'll be able to see our members all uh, representing their clubs on their decorated trailers in the main ring. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. What's involved in the rally? So the rally is a day of both celebration, but also competition. Our clubs compete for the, uh, the rally trophy. There's a series of competitions, anything from egg throwing to 
uh, tractor handling. Tug of war is definitely a spectacle of the day as well. And we have friends and family and supporters of young farmers coming along to watch and cheer on our members. There's also a, an evening do as well for them all to celebrate or, or commiserate if they if they didn't win. But it's it's definitely a really nice family day out and a great way to, to round off the young farmers' year. It's a brilliant social day for everybody involved. For those who've not been involved in Young Farmers, and we've obviously missed out on some of the face-to-face over the last couple of years, just give us a quick 30 seconds on what Young Farmers is all about. So Young Farmers is for like-minded people. You don't have to be a farmer to be a young farmer. We welcome anyone from ages 10 to 28, and we have clubs across the uh, county, and we meet on um, weeknights doing lots of different activities, Information can be found on the Links YFC website or you can head to our Facebook page. Uh, just wanted to mention we had our Chairman's Charity Ball on the 2nd of April and we raised over £7,000 for LRSN. So a fantastic local charity that we are always endeared to support and we're, we're, very, we're very proud of being able to raise that amount of money. That's brilliant. Quite an achievement and, as you say, such a brilliant charity. Charlotte Garbert, County Chairperson for Lincolnshire Young Farmers. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Dave. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Louth auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth on what was May Day Bank Holiday. Starting with the prime steers, which top at 255 pence per kilo for GL and M car of Skidbrook and gross £1,419 from the same good home. Heifers top at 265 pence per kilo for Kevin Chafer of Burley Marsh and grossed £1,432 for JS Brooks of Strubby. Moving on to the cool cows, which topped both pence per kilo and pounds per head for ADV Limited at 206 pence per kilo or £1,644 per head. On to the store cattle, tremendous show, saw steers top at £1,245 and heifers top at £1,150. These were both from R.C. Ellison son of Hibblestow. Moving on to the sheep, started with the prime lambs, similar number, a lifting trade is a simple way to put it. Topping for C.A. Badley at 331 pence per kilo or £143.50 for Shaw Brothers of Bimbrook, to leave an all-in average of 315.16 pence per kilo. On to the prime hogs, similar number forward, a mixed show on offer, saw an all-in average of 251.71 pence per kilo, with a top for A&P Schofield at 295 pence per kilo, or £130 per head for GB Housing of Stickford and A&P Schofield of Owersby. On to the cool use, slightly fewer number forward, However, slightly easier on the trade, as to be expected with the festivals now behind us. The top in the cool U's for AJ Colson and Sons of Osgoby at £170 to leave an all-in average of £117.15. Cool Rams topped at £220 per head for Bridgehouse Farming of Kroll, an average £170. Finally, just store sheep and just a couple of ewe and lamb outfits on offer topped at £85 per life for T and MA Grattan to average £81 per life. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Tomorrow, Monday the 9th of May, is our inaugural show and sale of ewes and lamb outfits. Entries are still being taken. Please do not hesitate to contact me to discuss all marketing options. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with the Grain Market Report, Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Indian wheat production and EU sanctions dominated the headlines this week, both of which had a positive impact on prices. 
Blistering temperatures in India have resulted in the production estimates being lowered by 110 million metric tonnes a few short weeks ago, and now down to below 100 million metric tonnes. There was even talk of an export ban, later denied, with some talking of a 90 to 95 million metric tonne, which, if verified, would extinguish any hope of the Indian exports filling the void left by the Black Sea. Another round of EU sanctions aimed at an embargo on Russian oil imports and include shipping, insurance, brokerage and financing services, as well as the rebuilding plan for the Ukraine once the war is over and a full EU membership. Various reports of Ukrainian exports via the western frontier circulate, as do reports of their spring barley planting progress, although the accuracy of any of this is open to debate. Ukrainian port facilities had either been disabled, destroyed or closed as the Russians continued to target road and rail infrastructure. Grain storage that had been destroyed with all the grain, fuel and farm machinery has been stolen by the Russians as they head back east. The usual race by analysts to claim the largest Russian wheat crop is on, but with official Russian data releases on lockdown, it is difficult to vouch for any of their accuracy. So looking at barley this week, the Ukrainian barley crop reduced by 1 million metric tonnes. The global production estimate has slipped by 146 million tonnes from the harvest 2022. However, North American barley production has rebounded, with France, Denmark and the UK having spring barley crops which are rated at excellence for this stage in the season. Following the up and down of the wheat market, the new crop malting barley values remain at historically high prices, with growers locking in a percentage of their crop in this early stage. Oilseed rate, whilst we were on holiday on Monday, we saw the markets take a hit, with Matif falling sharply. This was driven by the improving weather in the US, the expiry of May Matif, and the talk of reducing biodiesel production in the food versus fuel debate. Following the drop, markets have struggled to find direction. It's been difficult to get bids on old crop rapeseed and new crop bids have lost £60 a tonne since last Friday. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for July 320 to 329. Most positions for the May and June are now full. August 295 to 305. November 300 to 305. X the farm. Milling wheat premiums are currently 30 to £35. Pounds. Feed barley, X the farm for June, old crop 300 to 310, moving into new crop for August 280 to 286, and November 286 to 293. Oil seed rate, May June 810 to 820, July 690 to 700, and November 695 to 705. Many thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Mostly dry to start the week, but there's rain on the way. Light southerlies today and Monday. Cloudy but dry highs of 16 Celsius. Rain, some of it heavy as forecast for the rest of the week. Winds mostly from the southwest in the mid-teens MPH and highs of 13 to 15 Celsius. Well, that's it for this week. Please don't forget the Mad May Marathon, raising funds for the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. I'm off to do today's mile now. And if you could spare a few quid, search Mad May Marathon at justgiving.com. And thank you. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week's farming programme, have a good one. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.